As Julius mentioned, we've been preaching on uh, different verses throughout these last weeks that a number of you have uh, turned into me. And as you hopefully already, I've said a couple times and you've noticed some of the themes that have been part of um, Trinity and particularly my input into Trinity over the last number of years um, keep coming back, keep showing up and I'm emphasizing some of those themes on purpose in the hope that you will remember them and take them with you into whatever community of faith you find yourself. And it's fascinating that when you have some of these themes in your head and then you read scriptures, they show up again. I uh, sometimes wonder if it's just um, what they call projection bias, where you're thinking about something and so you read it in. That may be part of it. But I think also they actually do come from the text. So there's a combination there. So today we're going to be reading from um, Philippians chapter 4. <coughs> and just a little brief introduction. Uh, the city of Philippi was um, uh, on, uh, on the other side of the... It was, it was Paul's first incursion into Europe after Macedonia. And... Um, it was a cosmopolitan city. It was a city that probably didn't have any Jewish synagogue in it. So when Paul went there, he went to the beach where there were some, what they call in the New Testament time, God-fearers who were, who were praying. There were people who were converted to Judaism. They weren't, uh, they weren't ethnic Jews themselves. And there he met a lady, a, a, a maker and seller of purple dye by the name of Lydia. Some of you will remember that story. And around Lydia and around her home, there gathered this community of faith. You will also remember that Philippi was the place where Paul um, healed a young girl who was possessed by a demon, and she was being abused by her masters, and Paul healed her. And that's also the place, of course, where Paul was imprisoned. And then that very famous story of in the middle of the night, there was the earthquake, and the, the prison broke open. And uh, and um, and the prisoners um, were like, well, actually, I don't know if all the prisoners were like, oh, I don't remember the story. But anyway, Paul was freed um, from the prison. So Paul writes this letter to this community of faith, and there's lots of stuff in it. We obviously this morning can't touch all of it. But um, we wanted to start in chapter 4. And before we read this part, and this is really... Introduction. I'm not going to say a little bit about, uh, I'm not going to say a lot about this passage. I just want to reiterate a theme that you've heard from me a number of times. And for me, when I got this a number of years ago, if not decades, um, it was a paradigm changer. And it's this, I grew up thinking that the church is a lifeboat, that the world is the Titanic and it's sinking because it's hit the, the iceberg, and it's sinking. And the church is a lifeboat, and the job of the church is to go around and rescue people who are drowning uh, from the cold waters, bring them into the boat, and save them. And so that's an image that, that just colors everything that you do as a church. And one of the main things that it does, it has some good characteristics, obviously, but one of the main things that it does is it separates people. Because some of us are in the boat, and some of us are not. 
for whatever reason. And it's been a huge theme of theology over the years, certainly since the Reformation, to figure out who's in the boat and who's not, and why they're in the boat. Is it faith and works? Is it works and faith? What are works? What are faith? And there are libraries and libraries and libraries and libraries full of books trying to figure out how you get into the boat. The other pair, another paradigm learned from N.T. Wright and others is that the church is not a lifeboat, it's a colony. So what's happened is the king of the universe has realized and seen that the earth is a pretty broken place and that it needs a lot of help. And so he's chosen some people, and he said to them, I want you to go into this land, and I want you to establish yourselves there, and I want you to build your homes, and I want you to do your trades, and I want you to plant your crops, and I want you to live together there in such a way that it's this little place where What's actually happening there is what I wanted to happen from the beginning. And as you do that, and as that place grows, other people will come around, and they'll see it, and they'll say, hey, we'd like to live like that too. And it will spread, and it will grow, and pretty soon the whole earth, in these words that are repeated a number of times in the Old Testament, will be full of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And there's another all for the people who are counting the alls. It's a totally different picture. Changes everything. It does away with the barriers. There's no question of who's in or out. We who are following Christ are sent out to build up this this colony, this place where grace, grace and truth grow and bear fruit of all kinds. And it changes the world. So as we read these verses, and again, I'm not going to spend much time on it because of time, but think about this. Paul is not saying to the Philippian church, here's what you have to do to get into the lifeboat. Here's how you have to live in order to be saved from the cold waters of the Atlantic. No, he's saying, this is how you live in your colony. He's not saying, this is what you need to do so that you can be sure that when you lay your head on the pillow at night, God is happy with you. Or when you die at the end, God is happy with you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, this is what it looks like to live in this community of faith. This is what it looks like, says Paul. Therefore, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women 
who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers who name, whose names are in the book of life. It was a plea for, for resolution of conflict and for unity and working together. That's what this colony looks like. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And that theme has shown up this morning in the, song, in the songs. Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That's what this colony looks like. The Lord is at hand. That means the Lord is near. The Lord is here. Do not be anxious about anything. That's characteristic of this colony. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's what characterizes this colony, the peace of God. It's like this great mystery. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That's what this colony looks like. It's full of purity and honor and and loveliness and, and commendation and truth. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Live these things out. Live this way together in this colony so that everyone will know that there is a God and that he's a God of peace and that it is possible in some way or another to do something concrete and real about the brokenness of the world in which we find ourselves. And then Paul goes on. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. I forgot to mention the beginning that Paul wrote this letter from prison. He was most likely in prison in Rome. It could have been somewhere else, but he was most likely in prison. And so he was very dependent upon the support also shown in physical things um, for, for the churches around and that's what he's talking about here. You, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no, no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Verse 11, I, um, oh, I must have that wrong there. It should be verse, go back, Christopher, thanks. No, that must be my mistake. Uh, anyway, um, what I wanted to project there was verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. 
I just want to pay just a moment for this word content. As, uh, as I was working with it this week, I learned a few things. And one of the things is that this word is not content like the feeling you have after Thanksgiving dinner, where this tryptophan from the turkey is working and whatever else works through your body at that time, and you're sitting down, and Detroit is playing, what, Cleveland or some stupid football game like that, and it's 0-0 at the end of the, four, of the third quarter because nothing's happening. But you're content because your family's there and it's football on and it's Thanksgiving. That's not what Paul means. There's a particular Greek word here. And the word means something like self-sufficient, which is really kind of an interesting thing. It's a little different twist on content. It means strong. It means sufficient in oneself, self-supporting, independent of others. What Paul is saying here is when you are content, you are standing on your own two feet, being sufficient, being strong, being able to somehow take what the world throws at you. And that sounds like a kind of a weird thing. Like, I'm, I'm supposed to be dependent on Christ. And in reality, and that's what we're going to get to at the, the last verse of this paragraph, that's exactly what Paul means. I'm not dependent on my circumstances. I'm not dependent on other people for my fundamental well-being. I'm dependent on Christ for my well-being. There's a quote that I found this week from the Quaker mystic Thomas Kelly that says it, I think, pretty well. God plucks the world out of our hearts, loosening the chains of attachment. In other words, I, I, I remove myself from the chains of attachment of the world. And God hurls the world into our hearts where we and God together carry it in infinitely tender love. But what Paul is saying here is, I am strong, I am self-reliant. I am detaching myself from the world and uniting myself to Christ. Not so that I can break away from the world, but so that in Christ I can go back into the world. See what he says up there? God hurls the world into our hearts where we and God together carry it in infinitely tender love. And that's the second thing a theme of mine that I want to bring up this morning. We have this idea that the Christian faith is to detach us from the world. It's kind of a spiritual thing. It's kind of something that I do in my prayer closet. And our eventual goal is to leave this world. We're only pilgrims here. 
This world is not my home. To leave this world and end up, in the words of this last hymn we sung, sung, in a place far away. (laughs) See how deeply embedded that is? One of the most famous Christian hymns ever. So deeply embedded. And if I can be so bold and you can't fire me anymore. (laughs) Totally wrong. Absolutely, totally wrong. I understand where it comes from. God bless him. We are not being taken to a place far away. This world is our home. God made it. And he loves it. And he called it good right from the very beginning. And he placed us in it. And the reason why he sent us out in colonies is so that we can together with him carry it in infinitely tender love. See what a difference that is? It moves us out in this direction. It moves us out horizontally into the world. And as we stand self-sufficient in Christ, who did the same thing, God sent Christ into the world, not to pull everybody away from the world, but to change people one by one, to free them, to free the captives, to heal the sick, to make the blind see again, to make the lame walk again, to forgive the sin, to restore and reconcile and heal on every single level that you can imagine. That that is a huge paradigm shift. It takes work. But it is so crucial and so important and so life-giving. To understand and see that I can go through every day looking for the opportunities that Jesus Christ gives me to be his person in his world. That God hurls the world into my heart and into your hearts and into our hearts where we and him together carry it in infinitely Tender love. And that's what Paul means by contentment. Because when I know God's infinitely tender love for me and for the world, then really in the end, nothing can shake me. Or if it does shake me, I know that God and I, together, are carrying that burden, whatever it is, in infinitely tender love. And now, Christopher, I'm going to skip over everything to the very last verse, Philippians 4.13. And Paul concludes this section by saying, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And now what do you think that all things is? It's the ability to be content. To carry the world 
together with God in this infinitely tender love in whatever circumstance to be united, to know that you're united with Christ in such a way that nothing can separate you from his love. Not any loss, not any pain, not any sorrow, not any sin, not any wrong thing you've done, not any hurt that you've caused or hurt that's been done to you. As bad as all of that is and as painful and as scarring as all of that is, nothing in the end can separate you from the love of Christ because God in Christ has called you together with all of us to build this colony. And he's given us a spirit so that all these things we can do because of him who strengthens us. And that's what it means to be content.